Hi, we are Isabel and Victoria from Seed to Harvest Ventures. We're a pre-seed and seed stage fund that invests in women of color building software-enabled companies. We're product and design operators turned emerging managers, and we're sharing our experience with our first fund. Hi, Victoria. Hola. How are you? Tired, but otherwise good. How back, about you? Back in New York. I am back in New York. My body is still confused what time it is but you know body's still in oakland body's actually in between it's just floating over the the country right now um okay today we're gonna talk about just kind of a year in review we'll do kind of a 2022 wrap up um but before we dive in let's do our weekly reflection tell me about one thing that you learned this week and one thing that you're proud of um so something i learned this week Okay, so this is weird, but whatever. Um, but like, I've there's this thing called like, I'm sure a lot of people have heard about this, maybe they haven't, but this idea of like from pet to threat, um, that's like specifically talked a lot about for like black women entering companies, where in like the beginning, like people are really nice to you and that you kind of like you're a pet, like they really like that you are questioning things or doing certain things and like you know, but over time that turns into like you being a threat and then people end up getting like pushed out. Um, and it's like a common thing. Um, most of the articles and stuff talk about it from productive black women. I'm sure it happens to other people as well, but like, it's pretty common. Um, and one thing that I realized too, that's kind of happening are like my, at least what I feel like I'm seeing is like kind of a similar model with like, I think how people relate to like, black women entering like the world as like founders and as like fund managers I think there's a still like people are like oh this is great and awesome but like as long as there's not that many of them but as soon as there's more of them and I, I think at this coming the more we talk about like the opportunity and the power of women of color I think I'm also just feeling this is just feeling but trusting my gut here like I'm learning that I think people are really seeing that as like kind of it almost feels like I'm watching pet to threat happen whereas people are like we want women of color but like not too many not to be like really like at the front of like what we're doing here it's like people are comfortable when it's like a couple of you know women of color fund managers or a couple of women founders but like funny like t- trying to think about the world we're trying to shape and like people's like reaction to it I'm like oh like this kind of makes you deeply uncomfortable um so yeah, that's something I learned this week. The thing I'm proud of this week is like, I guess I'm like really be- getting good at accepting help. Like my life is a hot ass mess. Um, I don't live anywhere. <laughs> I'm like constantly trying to figure shit out. Um, but like, like it was really great staying with you and like, I'm going to be in LA and like, you know, having friends who are just like happy to have me in their homes um, and just like, happy to like listen to and like support us and what we're doing like that feels really good but I'm proud of myself for like kind of not accepting help but like starting to really trust that people are like can be a support system and like relying on people so yeah allowing yourself to lean on the amazing support system that you've created for yourself yes 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 thank you for saying that in a much more (laughs) lovely way So back to you, what's one thing you've learned and what's the thing you're proud of? Yeah. Okay. The thing I learned this week. So I did the storytelling. There's this storytelling exercise that Victoria did last week with a woman that we met through Dreamers and Doers. We're going to try and barter some skills with her. And so I was able to do this and it was really on how to shape your narrative and your story. She's got a whole framework. She tied in anagrams. And it like went deep. I mean, I'm glad I went. I feel like years of therapy have really helped me (laughs) to just be able to like swan dive into an exercise like this. But it was really interesting because she was talking about these different enneagrams that like and the words that you hear. And like one was the achiever one. um, There's one that didn't really fit. And then the other one is like the peacemaker. But the achiever is driven by shame, maybe. It's like getting validation. And the peacemaker is driven by anger. And I was like, oh, I don't feel like I'm driven by anger. And as we dug in, it was like a stubbornness kind of. Um, I didn't feel stubborn in the exercise. But she said there was a stubbornness associated with that 
type and how it manifests. And it doesn't manifest in that traditional, like, dig your heels in, you don't do something, but it kind of comes out in these different ways. And it was just so interesting. And then going through her framework and like plugging the story in, I just like was able to draw all these connections that I haven't been able to do. And it was just so helpful to have someone being like, I'm kind of seeing this. What do you think? Like, that's something that I feel like you and I do for each other, but to like have someone else with an outside perspective, being able to do that. I just like, I learned so much and it was just really helpful. Um, And like, I mean, I like that kind of stuff and just seeing like, I always have a curiosity. I'm like, huh, I guess I didn't really realize that. And I was kind of on my radar. How can I see this in other ways? And so it was really cool. Um, And like someone guided me through it. I didn't have to sit down and do it all myself. That is really the key to everything we've learned. What I need. (laughs) Have someone else do it. Yeah. And then um, one thing I'm proud of is you and I having like uncomfortable, well, I don't know if they're uncomfortable for us, but like really digging deep and having like what I think would be considered to be uncomfortable conversations and being really vulnerable with each other this week and talking Mm -hmm. about where we're at and like where we're at in relation to the fund and it's just like whenever we have moments like that like I really just feel like we're putting like words really an investment in ourselves and our relationship and it's like it's cool to have someone like you that's also willing to do that and like feel it out and talk it out and and just be really transparent with each other and like honest and even if it's like I don't know, I felt really vulnerable and just talking about fears that I have and things that like, aren't like, at the forefront of my mind all the time. But I just want you to know, every feeling I have associated with things. And so like, I don't know, like, we don't do that every week. But it was just felt like we had a natural inflection point. And I am just so proud of the fact that we like, took that head on. And like, did that and I feel like it always makes us stronger and I just really appreciate that appreciate that about you appreciate that about our relationship and like it felt like a really great way to kind of close out a pretty epic year for us yeah no you're right I agree I agree so to that point we should talk about our year I think yeah. we're do like a I'm not gonna go month by month because it's wild but definitely how the year started and different milestones and then the lessons we have learned and are continuing to learn as we do this. (laughs) Uh, So where we were a year ago, January, 2022. Also what you said, year of 2022. I was like, that's what year it is. I don't know. I know. Uh, (laughs) I I mean, honestly, it's still 2028. As far as I'm concerned, same shit, different year. Um, But anyway, so January is like going back then we had our first deck. We're setting the scene. We were our first deck because at the time we were a venture studio uh, with their pre-accelerator program. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the pre-accelerator. Yeah, program. shout out to that that never-ending program. Um, Isabel was at Pinterest full time. Yeah, I was in Mexico January first of this year. I put my butt on a plane because I don't like being cold, and I was in Mexico, and I was consulting um, while still working on this full time. Um, yeah, and it was like, we were in such a different place. Like, I think we were excited about what we're doing, but we were still very much in our builder hats. I think that was like a key thing. And like, you know, it kind of the narrative that we thought, and I think people expected of us is to really be focused on this studio model and because we're really great builders but it's funny too because like neither uh, neither of us want to be founders <laughs> it was, it yeah. was like it was kind of funny because it was like it made sense in that like we have the skill set but it did make sense in the fact that like we have no desire to be builders and like we firmly want to just be like you got this right and like and I think something we were really focused on then too is like how do we fund a studio because like we did a ton of research talking to people who have venture studios reading books about venture studios And I remember what we kept getting to was like, you know, the amount of money needed to fundraise to like do this because of hiring people, the research costs is so high in comparison to like the amount of companies you could really build. And I think something that we both really were 
trying to figure out is like, how do we not screw over founders? Because so much of what we read too was like, in order for the studio to make sense, you have to take a significant portion of like equity and the right. companies. And that kind and, of went against our, just the ethos that I think we've already always had. But like, it's also the ethos of like making sure like, cause like basically it makes it, usually makes it harder for founders to fund for cap, to yeah. raise capital later because you've taken such a like deep, um cut and you know like how involved do you get like all these questions of like can we really make this profitable and in a way that like really acknowledges the amount of work that we would have to do and so we were actually really going at it with this idea of being a dual entity model where we'd have a fund in a studio where we could like funnel more money to keep our ownership percentages without having to you know take so much of the founder um founder um equity um but then i think it was like april we had but i want to talk about the pre-accelerator because that was also a big piece like you had worked for visible hands and tech stars and you had also been really close to kind of like the existing founder ecosystem Mm -hmm. and like even with your like involvement with the republic with Republic, the Republic. Yeah, I was like, what? The Republic. Like, oh, Republic. <laughs> <laughs> With Republic that like, you know, like you were already seeing that like some companies are too early for most programs, like there's a gap there. And we had mm-hmm. also talked about like, all right, while we figure out studio and fund model stuff, because we already felt like there was a challenge there in our storytelling when we created our first deck, mm-hmm. it was like, how could we just get started? And a pre-accelerator yeah. program felt like that could be a good avenue. And so we even explored like, okay, could we raise a million dollars so that we can cut checks, also potentially float ourselves. And it was, it, at the time, it felt like a vehicle through which we could, like, training wheels yeah. into VC, kind of, like, practice fundraising a little bit, but a lower stakes, lower amount. We have programming, like, you and I could, you know, like, that's the least of my concerns on that end of things. And so that was something that we were also exploring um, and had companies that we were talking to about that to kind of pilot. You're right. You're um, right. But all of that was like, a lot. I don't know. I feel like between <laughs> January and April. So April, we I flew into town and we met and like had a little retreat, quote unquote, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Just to like dig into stuff. And we got someone to help like guide some conversations for us to figure out where we wanted to focus. Because I think we had really been exploratory. We had, And we spent time too, January, February, March talking to people in your network, getting connected with other people in the VC industry, getting feedback on potentially doing a studio model, getting feedback on programming and feedback on pre-accelerator too, right? Cause yeah. we hadn't, we hadn't even heard of what, we didn't know what a pre-accelerator was in January, but as we talked about like how we could get started, people in our, our community were like, Oh, like it started to sound like you could do like a pre-accelerator. Like, have you thought about that? We researched it and we're like, Oh, this is an interesting space. Like we could really stake our names here as like, you know, the pre-accelerator for women of color. Right. Basically we're just adding more and more jobs to our, <laughs> our totally. <laughs> but it did give us an in to really talk with other accelerator programs and yeah. figure out how we could like pipe into them. I think that helped kind of further some relationships that you had started with a few folks and like allowed us to just be really curious and talk to people and see where the needs were. And I will say like a lot of that work, I think has informed our perspective now um, as well. So in April, we decided to focus on being a fund. Got our shit together. (laughs) Well, I think to your point, right. It was like, we were in exploratory, but also experimentation mode. Like, yeah, you know, we had founders who wanted to work with us in this pre pre accelerator program. We were trying to figure out, okay, how would we monetize this? Like, what does this look like? What's fair versus like, you know, we'll get founders to the door. Like, we were trying and learning, experimenting, like doing what we naturally do as people who build products. But I think at April, once we kept, you know, talking about the narrative and talking, and you know, trying to explain the studio and the accelerator. And the dual entity model, and people were just like, "What the fuck are you guys doing?" Um, and they were like excited about us, but it was like clear that people were like struggling to understand what we were doing, and we also were struggling to understand exactly what our focus was. And so yeah. the retreat was really to come and be like, "Okay, how do we shape this narrative to be clear to ourselves and to others?" And it ended up being like we we make this better by focusing, which yes. was like really on the fund. 
Yes. Agreed. Um, another thing that happened in that first like Q1, Q2 is we had someone that was interested in being an LP. That kind of got us, lit the fire under us to figure out fund formation, paperwork, legal stuff, mm-hmm. and our structure. Um, but yeah, I think April was the big turning point. After that, we were able to take a look at the deck again, strip out the pieces that didn't make sense, and really was like, let's just see how conversations go as we focus more. Yeah. Um we had our thesis was a little more focused and then I mean <laughs> it's always a work in progress but that yeah. was like a big turning point um, yeah. on our deck and us being able to kick off fundraising in May yeah my favorite part though about our first our second first deck I'm gonna call it our second first deck because it was like the first like fun focus deck is that we forgot to tell people who we were like we oh. literally were like oh we're Victoria and Isabel and then we just <laughs> launched into this fun and our feed, like some of the feedback we got, they were like, so like, I know you because we're like, we're connected, but like these people don't know you. You don't tell me any information about yourselves. We're like, ah, yes. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. We like shirked away from talking about ourselves. Yes. We weren't as confident, I think at that time either. in talking about like how our careers leading up until now really give us an edge in terms of investors attracting talent our perspective on the industry etc and yeah like because we were shying away from it we were like we don't have finance backgrounds and they're gonna get mad at us for that so we're just gonna talk yeah. about other stuff. and i'd say like i mean we'll talk about this in some of our like learnings but so much of it i think when you start anything is you're going off of available information which tends to be generic watered down potentially not applicable to your situation and you're really just trying to like pull in what you can. I'm the type of person that like has these mental check boxes that are tied to like legitimacy and validity. And so I've, you know, definitely spent way too much time this year being like, okay, have I like checked these superficial boxes that I think other people want that I, you know, like, it's just silly. So that it's taken time to build up the confidence in that. But in the middle of the year, I think we were definitely trying to put a stake in the ground and talk about who we were also trying to fit into this box that we thought would kind of get us in the door a little more. And then, Mm. um, but I'd say from May to August doing that, we, we really started to develop more perspective on like what mattered to us and what we wanted to carry through. Yeah. So I think it kind of, and, and before I say this, before going to your point about like, I will say, I don't think it's like, I know, I know you didn't mean actually the word silly, but I think there's something weirdly, and this might be too like hyperbolic, whatever, but like dangerous also about this, because it's like, I think when, I think there is a, like a somewhat natural, like pretty like neutral thing that when you're learning something you're trying to figure out okay what's the right way to do this and yeah. like that's like that's like how people learn like it's a there's like a Japanese model that like comes from like how you teach things that I don't remember because I don't speak Japanese um and I'm not gonna embarrass myself by trying to <laughs> speak Japanese um but the idea is that you kind of like when you learn something the method is like you learn exactly how like someone else does it like you just learn like step-by-step method then you like kind of take your like maybe the step-by-step method but like a little different either with like your own approach or like like an improvement or something and then you like figure out the like deeper meaning of it and then you kind of like turn it into like your own thing yeah and so in some way that's natural but I think something that I think I continue to think about and like, I think we continue to both try to figure out how to combat is like how that kind of translates into imposter syndrome. And the fact that like, we didn't do anything wrong by like, but we know that the industry that we're entering in much like the industry we are leaving was not made for us. Yeah. And so like, how do you come in as someone who needs to enter that industry as yourself when you already know it's not made for you? And so it's like, yeah. you're, you're trying to like, and not bring the baggage of your experience from yeah. another industry as well, yeah. you know, and like feel, I felt guarded at times and jaded at times and, you know. Yeah. And it's like, how do I not bring that in? But like, you bring that in because like, you already know it's not made for you. And there's like a little bit of like, 
the danger and like you know people want you to be differentiated but like you already are different so it's like how much different are you like how much difference are you going to want here because it's like everything everything is different 90 percent is different yeah well and that is something i mean we're getting off topic a little bit but that is something that we've heard where it's like it's no longer differentiated enough to be female gps or you being a gp of color or us being operator backgrounds it's like what else is your differentiator and we're like we have a lot but these are also valid like yeah 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 so that that's been a, that was a lot but it ties in we have some learnings from that um yeah. in may was really big though you had your first solo well you we took our, we, yeah i took the first call but yes it was our lp meeting yeah yeah you took an lp meeting by yourself because i was doing some family stuff and we learned that we didn't like that yeah it was terrible i mean it was just terrible because i felt like super judged like it was, they had five people on the Zoom call. It was just me. They asked That's me all aggressive. these like super detailed questions. Like, I just didn't feel in control of the conversation. I thought it would be a conversation because that's what people are like, oh, the first call is a conversation. It was not. It was a fucking like reckoning. And I was like, what's <laughs> happening here? Um, and then actually, I had two calls that day because I had that one. And then I had one with a woman who, like literally just wanted to talk so she could say she talked to a like a black woman GP like she was yeah. like oh have you heard of like Harlem Capital and like this like have you heard of like first close partners you should reach out to them and I was like why are we on this call if you can't invest like basically you're just like we don't really invest in VC we invest in like other private equity and I was like why would you take this meeting it was literally just so she could like feel like she like you know, hit a check mark and like talk to a woman of color. And I was like, oh, I'm, I was pissed. Yeah. Um, and so it was like, one, I realized I was like, we are not doing first calls separately anymore. And two, <laughs> like, I refuse. Cause like, I don't know if we talked about this before, but like, I remember reading right before we started that like women of color, like women in general were getting more calls since like the post George Floyd ever. And everyone's like diversity. Um, and women of color getting even more calls, but it was adopting actually less money. Right. And I was like, I will not let people fucking waste our time. Like, yeah, I'm serious. So, yeah. Um, we also, which was really cool. And I think a big turning point for us this year, <clears throat> we started doing our founder, um, office hours, weekly office hours. And it's funny because we initially started it thinking about it as like, you know, we kind of miss doing an operator thing. We like, you know, we were at I miss feeling like, good at something. Yeah. Like, so- I miss feeling like I knew anything. Yes. <laughs> so it was great to just be able to like exercise. Like I have 13 years of yeah. design experience. Talk to me about design. <laughs> yes. And so we were like, but you know, we're like, oh, it'll like, you know, people don't really know us. So like, we'll just start it and see what happens. And like, it'll build over time. And then we fucking put it out there on LinkedIn and some Slack channels and we were like book for the month. Um, and so that for us was a big turning point in realizing just like how needed our expertise was and how valued it was among founders. Yeah. And how we could pull that into our narrative more. Yes. That was exciting. Um, oh, I also, I went to my first conference in May, mm-hmm. um, which was really awesome because that was Look. really the- Conference as a GP. You've been to conferences before. Oh, yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Conference as a GP. Just for clarification for our audience, she has been to conferences before. Guys, have you heard about these called conferences? I have some hot takes. takes. One, conferences. (laughs) Um, As a GP, it was also my first time of really going to, like, wrap the funds solo. Yeah. Yeah. and get to like practice that and talk about it. And it was awesome. This is all raised, right? Yeah, this was all raised. Cause you couldn't come into town. You were like, I got to take something on my plate. Yeah. I live here. So we just transferred the ticket to me and it was wonderful. Um, and I think that kind of got us started getting us into that like conference flow. Um, yeah. I'd say everything kind of took off in June and July in terms of like, office hours were full. We really had this, like we started talking to a lot more LPs in June and July. Fund was officially formed, but we realized what we needed to do was, it started to become apparent the more LP conversations we had, like, great, these are the areas that we need to bolster a little bit. And so we started thinking about case studies with founders and 
developing our track record as a team and just we even brought back the pre-accelerator program briefly we were like maybe oh my god we did we did we did no (laughs) shout out to the pre i mean pre-accelerator program is now like our running joke and just will forever live on the marrow board but (laughs) we did bring that back i forgot about that yeah because we're like because we're basically because we didn't have like a more like normal finance background and financial track record either by being VCs at another firm or um, by doing a lot of angel investing. Like I have a couple of different like angels, but like it's not like 20 or whatever. And I just started doing it two years ago. So I don't even have like a lot of um, metrics to like necessarily talk through. Um, but what I think is interesting is like it was what we realized is like, okay, how could we show how effect we like, it's like, we know how our skills attribute to revenue. We know how like we can help like raise funds for companies. Like I've advised companies that raise $37 million pre-series A. Like we know we can do it, but we can yeah. have like, proof of it. And so it was like, oh, okay, like why don't we actually like do, what are the things that we could do by the end of the summer to like start proving out like how what we do affects in like actual like revenue and dollars and increased fundraising or whatever that is. So that's why I came back. But it's really funny because it's like, we were still kind of in experiment mode. I don't, I don't know if we'll ever leave experiment mode because that's who we are, but like we were experimenting with that. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think it was really figuring out how to tell that story of our background and then also start proving out, like where can we evidence what we have? Um, we also took our first vacation and break as a fund, which was yeah. good. Yeah. And then I was on full on like, you needed like a break. 100. Yeah, I was just like, I oh. forced you to take a vacation when I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah! Yeah, I was on 100. Yeah, absolutely. So that was good. Um, and then in August, like, I mean, August felt like a really big turning point for us. I yeah. came on full time. Um, yeah, that we 18 were... months went right out of the window. I was like, so six months later, you need to yeah. full time. Yeah, I, originally I was like, okay, I've got like 18 months, 18 months to raise. Like, I'll switch over in 18, which I don't know. I mean, it's the naivete, not in a bad way, but just yeah. like had no idea. I mean, this is like some theory that I'm developing, which is like, I don't think you can ever actually be ready to come into venture because when you're, or start a fund, because like, it's just, even if you've worked at a fund, starting one is so different. And like the amount of people that we've talked to too, who have worked in funds, but never raised Mm. or like had to put in their own pipelines and stuff. Like, it's just, I just don't know that you can ever fully know what you're getting into. truly. Like you can prepare, but I don't think you'll ever really deeply understand what you're getting into until you're like submerged. Yeah. And then you're like, wow, I still, that's how I learned. (laughs) I know. And, but still today, like, I don't think I could go back and be like, and then I'll do all these steps to figure out, like, there's just no, it would be endless, you know, like you would never get it done. You just have to do it. So, but that was like, we wanted, we were pretty like strong in getting a case study. So we, we also started like pushing, we had a good founder pipeline and had been working on that, but I think we really started looking at it and treating them like real investments and pushing on our process a little more, um, talking about how to do, because we were at this point, we were looking at being like a scout fund or, uh, or just talk about how we could invest together because that was something that we knew would further our LP conversations. And it's also like a great re-engagement and just shows progress. That's such a big thing is showing progress. Um, and then LA Tech Week happened in August. And that's when we really started talking about doing founder events and yeah. and capitalizing on what we had built with our office hours. Yep. Um, and then September hit. And that is when we just flew. My favorite part about September, we was like, okay, we're going to have two crazy weeks. And that extended to three months. Yes. Uh, because we did our first founder events because we had found so much like energy and like excitement from founders around our office hours we're like okay like experiment doing some live versions and also again it was like proof point that like here's the thing we did here's the type of founders we can attract that would help with our fundraising so we did our events in LA and Oakland um, we joined some more communities dreamers and doers transact really trying to like learn more because I think that'll be in our lessons learned but like yeah there's so much information and things that like you don't know until you do it and then you're like I don't want to fuck this up. Who do I talk to? And it's like, oh, 
great. We have these amazing communities, mostly of women, almost exclusively women, um, who we can turn to and like get the help as, you know, we like run into weird things with LPs, try to figure out how to engage with, re-engage with LPs, figure out like, you know, we were starting to think about like where we want to make investments. How do we even think about deal terms and like being follow on and like, we'll talk about this later, but like even like a deal we're doing now, we're doing is kind of like, pre any official round um because they're like we're usually talking about doing their seed round but they're gonna pause and wait until next year when they think they'll have like a better case and we actually agree with them on this but they need a bit of a bridge and it's like how do you deal with that <laughs> like what deal terms should you do and so yeah. it's like it's been really great having these like communities to get into but like we're in a lot of communities so we're also trying to figure out which communities to like focus on versus now yes um I think after September, like everything was a bit full tilt, but we also practiced kind of like refilling our LP pipeline. Yeah. Um, Kept going on conferences, which was great. But also, I mean, we had gone really hard on founders on that founder like track because of our events and all of that. And so it really too was an exercise for us as a team on how to like back burner that and bring LPs back in the forefront, but not drop any balls in the process. Um, Mm -hmm. Also started exploring like sponsorship and partnerships for events. That's when Mm -hmm. we were like, these pilots are actually great because then we can go into next year and try and get on budgets, et cetera. Um, We also did our first deal this fall, which was really exciting. Um, And I think of just overall, like I feel more confident in what we're doing yeah. and I felt a lot of progress as we yeah. go into next year yeah so let's yeah I think that will help make this a little like grounded and hopefully will be helpful for other people but the first thing is like just like how we started fundraising um mid-year is tough not and like part of it is like allocation um because people tend to like you know, by the time we were getting into like a conversation with people, a lot of people are already fully allocated for the year. To be fair, we also, you know, are fundraising in the weirdest time possible, of course, because, you know, it's after 2020 and 2021, people are just like lighting money on fire. And now they're like, oh, is that a bad idea? (laughs) (laughs) And so like everyone's like reckoning with that. And now we're asking for money too. And so that makes it tough. But like fundraising is so much about relationships and like when you start the relationship in the middle of the year, by the time you kind of progress the relationship, it's hard because they've already allocated or like, you know, you're, you're just further down their pipeline. Um, and that makes it hard to actually like close things. Yeah. Um, agreed. And also, can... Oh, sorry. I was going to relate to another point about like relationship building in of itself, something that I, I feel like I've learned in the past couple months is like a lot of people talk about relationship building really around time. Like even LPs will be like, you know, we like to build a relationship that takes anywhere from like three to six months or like, you know, a year because we want to see you do some deals or whatever. And what's been interesting about that, especially in the past two months, is like, I've realized it's actually not the time. Isn't the, like the, the real like measure of relationship is really about like, the intention and the like depth of like the conversations that you have, like we're talking to potential LP and other weird relationship. We're like, you know, I met this person at a VC summit in Tulsa a month ago. Like we then reconnected in New York. We had two conversations and like, now we're going back out. Like, and now we're like, continuing to have like really good conversations or another LP that we're talking to. I met one, someone on the investment team in Miami at a conference and we just really connected as human beings and like they're pushing for us now. And so some of it is just like actually just relationship building, not necessarily with the intent of like they'll be fundraising or like as an LPGP relationship, but just like as people, if you can connect, that does that isn't time bound. Yeah, it's like the money is secondary <clears throat> almost it, to the relationship building. It's well it's just very different. Yeah. It's like two very different conversations approaches all of that and it's a weird blend of the two kind of when you're going into these um and in person is just always better than online which really sucks because like i mean we're remote first but it is it is it's truly like um i hate the word balance balance is a fallacy but it really is this like juggle between how can i be in person represent the fun represent the brand get these kind of like 
face-to-face touch points just helps so much. Yeah. But also money-wise, how, how do we do that effectively? How do we like not spend all of our time at events and not be able to do all the other things that we need to do, which is like day-to-day approaches of the fund. Right. Day-to-day stuff with founders. Like it is definitely an art that we're still figuring out, but like it's, it became really clear to me that we can't just, you know, have like, cause even the idea of just having like a one-on-one LP meeting, like it's just such a different context when you can just like sit, other people can talk and bring up things. Like you can have a drink, you can like learn about like what airline people support, which was like a 30 minute conversation with a couple LPs one night. And it was really funny. Cause I was like, it's like a sports team, but like yeah. just that kind of stuff you're not going to do and a zoom call of 45 minutes is actually a waste of time, but that helps you connect with people so they can like, really engage when you are talking about the fund later on yes okay i'm gonna go on to another yes. learning well this isn't this is obvious decks are hard um <laughs> but it's a very good exercise for your storytelling the one thing with decks is it can feel like this endless slog and it kind of is i'd say it just has a really steep learning curve but once you get it to a certain point you only touch it when it's meaningful like it's been really clear for us like it's, I'd say early on, I felt like, okay, we got feedback. I need to iterate every couple feedbacks we get. But what you miss there is the contextual part of like leveraging that deck and seeing a reaction that you're getting as well, not in like a traditional feedback setting. So like for us, I'd say after three months, you know, in the fall, we, we revisited our deck and it was just really clear where we wanted to add. Here's what we want to add regarding our networks. Here's how we want to change like our sourcing showing inbound and outbound. Here's how we want to, and just these things that we knew would like answer questions that we had gotten and like helps like, it's not like a full answer, but it gives enough of a like, yes, we're actually doing all the things. Um, and once you get a little more information, like we were able to start talking about the deals that we're seeing, we were able to start talking about deals that we were doing, like all of that stuff to add, but it's not an endless log forever. Yeah. Um, I think in the beginning, it actually makes sense to like, do your best and like maybe iterate a little bit more often because like, again, oh, all, for sure. deck, all the deck templates are templates for a reason. Everyone has very specific, like, the templates end up just being a generic hodgepodge of like what different LPs say. And like, there's so many different, this is probably something we should talk a little bit about too. Lessons learned. Like people say the word LP, but it, it, it's basically like saying people, like there's so many different buckets of them. Yeah. And they all want different things. And so when you're trying to make a deck in the beginning, most of the advice you'll get, will be like, like really generic and like, doesn't actually give a lot of LPs the information they want. And so once you start really being able to understand what kind of LPs you resonate with, what kind of LPs resonate with you, you can start getting more specific in your deck and figure out like what exactly are the things that you want to answer. And that becomes clearer over time. So I think just like anyone approaching this as emerging manager, use the template. It won't hurt. Right. It gives you enough information to start conversations. Yeah. But then like expect to iterate a lot in like, well, once a lot, can... like a couple of weeks. Yeah. But then once you you really start hitting like product market fit with LPs and stuff, it'll be less and more intentional. But like, just like make sure you're doing it in a way that like makes like make sure you have like time set aside and like have like like we're only doing it every two weeks or every month or something. And don't get in the trap of like just doing it whenever you get feedback because you'll drive yourself crazy. Yes. A hundred percent. Okay. The next thing you are constantly growing as a GP and having ways to cope and be okay with that is really important. I think this is like on so many facets, like it almost like it's kind of, for me, at least it's kind of tied. It's like, I don't think I feel imposter syndrome. It's just, I feel like I'm like, we're growing on a fund level. We're growing as investors. Our relationship together is growing. Our relationship with others is growing. How we represent ourselves is it's like, you're constantly learning and pushing yourself out of a comfort zone yeah. and having to be like, you have to do it. Like there's stuff you have to do. And we talk about this too. It's like, it's not about getting comfortable. It's not about getting comfortable with it. It's about just like practicing. Like it doesn't have to feel easy, you know, like that. 
can't always be the goal. Sometimes it's just like, how do I feel comfort in the discomfort? Yeah. Or how do you just like not resist it or not feel like you've done something wrong or you shouldn't yeah, be comfortable? Yeah, exactly. Like, like I will never forget like when I was like crying in Isabel's car because I was like, I hate asking people for money and I'm supposed to and I hate it. And I was like, I feel such like such an asshole. And I'm like, I don't supposed to do it. And you were just like, dude, like we don't have to like this. It's just something we have to do. And like, it's okay if we don't like it. Just and like just acknowledging that, right? Yeah. Just acknowledging the fact that like we have to do this thing that I don't want to do, and I don't have to like it to do it. And right, like that just helped a lot. So even just like when you're in those points where you're like, I don't always feel comfortable, like you know, like I'm getting that nowhere now. I'm like sometimes I'm just not in the fucking mood to be my lovely, charming self, and I want to sit in a corner and not talk to anyone. <laughs> and like understanding that's okay and that I'm like overloaded and it doesn't mean I'm no longer an extra I don't even know if I didn't buy as extra it's like it doesn't mean I've changed it's just that like it's really hard and I haven't really ever had to do this I did it with consulting somewhat but this is a whole new level of being on a lot both with founders and LPs and like mm-hmm. having to just be like oh like I am I have to figure out how to be myself in this very new environment for me and that's okay and yes. it's hard but it's fine Yes. Okay. Another one. This is kind of going back to LP Convo's intro calls. There's so much emphasis on so much, I don't know, misinformation. It's like, you have a first call, then a second call, then you get money. And that's just not how it goes. And it's like, as an emerging manager, as someone new to the industry as well, like, similarly to how it took me years to develop a lot of confidence in how I interview for positions and like really knowing that it's too, like I'm interviewing them too. That's something that I would like really recommend. And so something that we've started doing, well, like you said, every LP is different. Intros and LPs are very personal. I don't think there's one size fits all in terms of what people are looking for. And so having the confidence or the practice or discipline to guide and frame meetings, I like to ask for their intros and motivations up front, And that enables us to really tailor what points we want to hit and like tailor our intros as well to have a more productive conversation. I feel like yeah, when we I think that's a to- good takeaway for every, like, I, I do think that's something everyone should do, not just because of our experience, but also like what we've heard from other people. It's like, they're people too. And if you want it to not feel like so transactional, a great way to do that is to have them intro themselves and talk about their motivations. Like keep it, you know, really short because you only have 30 minutes. But, like, once you know why they're doing it, it helps you even understand if they're a good LP fit for you, right? right. And, like, where to got the conversation where you can really shine versus where, you know, there might be more uncomfortable. Like, Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I think there's an, I mean, not I think. There are inherent power dynamics at play, even if it's a subconscious thing. So it's not, like, is this meeting so an LP can go no-go me? I need to also go no-go the LP as well and see if we're interested in that. Also adding to that ending always. Okay. This is just, maybe this is us, but I actually feel strongly that people should do this. Like ask if they're interested, like, in yeah. the meeting, like, Hey, do you want to talk again? Are you actually interested in us? Like, cause like people will just like string you along forever. Cause people don't really want to say no, just in case, like maybe you are a good bet and they didn't realize it before or like, you know, like there's just so everyone most people most LPs don't want to be the first check like most VCs don't want to be the first check and they're all kind of just seeing how long they can wait until they have to make a decision and so like sometimes they still want to answer your question but like at least you know and you can get out there so you're not wasting your time because your time is your most valuable resource this early and also probably possibly in the future like if you can weed out people who you know like aren't going to be really strong bet or even if they might be great but like they can't deploy until Q3 of next year and you're trying to do your first close in Q1, you can really tailor how you interact with them to optimize for that time rather than going really hard on them just to find out later that they won't be an invest for another four months. Right. Yes, exactly. Okay. We only have a couple more. Um, There's a lot of misinformation. Well, Mm -hmm. I'd say there's a lot of generalized information especially for emerging managers. And it's difficult to know what is applicable and what's not. And also like comparing yourself to others, like 
I found it really hard not to like feel like behind a lot, but really, I guess like how to make this like a lesson learned. It's like ignore most of what people say is happening and either go directly to the source or do your own research because like, just like, you know, we've all heard the stories of some, some guy raising, you know, $200 million in three months or like, you know, the story of like, um, you know, you know, this LP is like giving all tons of money and like maybe they were the last person to give money, you know, it's just like, or they aren't giving out money, but then you hear they are giving out money and just like try to ignore most of the noise and really just focus, like try to get to like real, like ask for real examples of things as well as just like try to go directly to the source. Yes, it's an easy trap to fall into to get caught up chasing tidbits basically that you hear or leads or little little strings of information or where money might be flowing and it's benefited us a lot more to like acknowledge that it's there sure but really focus on what works for us yeah okay and then final takeaway I mean this came from a conversation I had um with some ODA fellows, um, on deck angel fellows of like, Oh, I'm thinking of starting my, a fund. I've done syndicates. I'm interested in, in going into it. I just need to kind of do it. And like, you can get started without being legally tied to anything. Like Mm -hmm. you, it's talking to people throw we, I mean, we had even just like a very light deck at the beginning, get feedback, talk to other GPs about their experiences, talk to like what we call connectors, just people like ecosystem builders, people that are in the industry that have perspective that could connect you with others. Like there's so much that you can do without having to like get the paperwork in order, to be honest, like we could fundraise technically without it, it'll come up and LP will eventually be like, Hey, Mm -hmm. are you doing this full time? And are you like formed and have a data room? But like looking back, like we could have just had a deck and done conversations for a really long time. If we were willing to like whip up the paperwork. And I mean, there's like, I think at minimum you can do it in six weeks, but like you can just get started. And I would say it's been really receptive people in the industry are always happy to talk about their experience and what they know. Um, I think too, for the things to focus on though, I think focusing on like your why. Yeah. And that's why you want to like start a fund. Cause there's so many other things you can do. It's not, it's harder than it sounds. And it's actually not that glamorous unless you're raising a ton of money. Cause those, you know, those uh, fees are, the manager fees are small. Um, and so like there's not a lot of money. So figuring out your why. The second thing is like, how you plan to invest whether that yeah. is driven you are markets driven like whatever, whatever just like how you plan to invest get clarity on that um and spend the time researching that seeing where you, like figuring out where you see opportunities figuring out how to talk about it like those are like the two things i think you really should focus on when in that like early exploratory phase and nail as much as you can so that you can like really be prepared when it's like time to really fundraise um, is there anything else you think people should like prepare other than like their why and their like investment focus area? I don't want to say thesis cause the word thesis driven, but now everyone does that. So like, however you're choosing to invest. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're really just trying to evaluate, if it's something you want to do, like having those, just having conversations. Like, I think it's a, it's a, what's nice is like, you can just not continue having those conversations if you find out that it's not for you and I guess my point here is that like you don't have to be a legally formed fund to go and talk to people like you don't have to actually put money into it or do anything legally binding in order to like kick off truly that's true and I think too what I'm adding is like the specificity right it's like if in order for these conversations to work well for you yes you want to test are like making sure you have your narrative of who you are, your thesis. And something I would add to is like why you're unique to this game. And I think yeah. that's becoming, like we've been talking about increasingly more important because there's so many funds. And to be fair, right? Like people are like, there's so many diversity funds. It's like, there's 
18 million fintech funds and no one says this shit like right like that is such a relative that's a relative thing so some of it's bullshit to be frank um but what is important for you is to understand like how unique in what ways like like what we talk about is like we're unique in our our approach to investing in women of color because we focus on ownership rather than like you know, if there's just a founder or an executive team, like they need to be 50% of the founder cap table. We're unique in terms of like why founders talk to us, right? Because like of our product development expertise, like we are that value that the founders are looking for. And we um, come at investing with a very different perspective. And so like, those are our unique factors. You just want to figure out what yours are and how they resonate with people. Like even just the point of like some film LPs we found out don't really understand what product is, right? And so like, when we say that we have to draw a bigger, Uh like, and that's not something we would have known unless we had talked to people. So that's why I'm encouraging you not just to have like general conversations, but to really be like focus on like specific areas and get feedback in that way. So when you're doing it more formal, you already know what things to like, you might have to rephrase or put in better context or whatever. Yeah. When you're having those more official conversations. Totally. Okay. Weekly wins. Let's, yeah. That was a good wrap up. Nice forcing function on reflecting. Um, okay. <laughs> Weekly wins. We're well. I have not hated our LP meetings recently, and I've, they're getting easier. Yeah, I said are. we're crushing them. I feel. I. I mean, I think we are doing well. <laughs> I like me. Yeah, yeah. I think we're doing well, and I think that even goes into the, our other win, which is like we did our first like podcast interview together, and it we got interviewed. Well. Yeah, we got interviewed. So we were, and we're it, like on another podcast. I had no regrets. I didn't have like a shame over on anything that I said. I wasn't like, why did I say that? Like it just, I mean, I was really riding high that day. That was this Wednesday right before you left. And like, I think we represented ourselves well. Yeah. We communicated all like the really salient points about what we're doing. It just felt really good. Yeah. All right. right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today and for this year. This will be our last episode. Uh, We'll be back next year. um, But thank you all for joining us as much as you have so far. Um, Fund managers, we'd love to meet you as always. Follow us on LinkedIn. We're Steve to Harvest Ventures. We're also at Steve to Harvest. uh, Sorry, we're at STH Ventures on Instagram. Um, You can also say hi and share feedback. and let us know if you would like to ever be a guest at hello at seedtoharvestvs.com. Um, we have been so happy to do this. We are really looking forward to next year. Also having guests so you don't have to just listen to our lovely voices yes. all the time. Um, so, yeah, we're really excited. And I hope this was really helpful. Please let us know if it was helpful. That would be great. Have a great end of year and see you all in the new year.